Hello, and welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Haley Barton, and we are discussing in this season, embracing rhythms of work and rest from Sabbath to sabbatical and back again. And we have transitioned from the topic of the personal practice of the Sabbath to talking about leading Sabbath communities. And to continue those conversations, I have with me today, Christine Lee. Christine is the priest in charge of St. Peter's Chelsea, an Episcopal church in New York City. She has also served as vicar of All Angels Church before coming with a team to St. Peter's in October of 2019 as part of a church revitalization effort in the Diocese of New York. She's also in Transforming Community right now, Transforming Community 18. So we are enjoying the journey together, and I'm looking forward to our conversation about her interaction with this topic of leading a Sabbath community. And now, please enjoy this week's conversation. Well, welcome, Christine. I am so glad to have you. And I'm really excited to talk to you today about how the parts of the book that had to do with leading a Sabbath community landed on you as a priest in charge. How did that part of the book land? And where are you with thinking about that right now? And I think that'll be a good jumping off place for all the things we want to talk about as we go forward. Where are you on the journey with your priesthood and with thinking about these things relative to the congregation that you lead? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me. I'm really oh, excited to talk with good you. Good to have you. Yeah, and um, well, as Colleen, your podcast producer, will will tell you that when the invitation first came, the first thing I said back to her was, but I'm not leading a Sabbath community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm struggling with practicing the Sabbath myself. And as I was reflecting back, I was realizing I've actually been on this Sabbath journey for mm. quite some time, probably mm. maybe like 14, 15 years yeah. or so. And I still struggle with it. I still feel very much like a beginner. So I was really glad to just have this chance to interact with your book mm. and 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 pay attention to those longings mm. and saying, I don't want this to be true just for me, but for my entire yes. community. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me, I mean, I I made this assumption in writing the book, but it seems to me that if you are a true leader, when you're experiencing something good for yourself, the most natural thing would be to say, and I want this for the people that God has given me to shepherd. Am am, am I right on that, that that would be a natural impulse? Yes, absolutely. And it's and it's funny how I think as I'm pursuing desires in my own life and in my own relationship with God, how it it also just naturally kind of seeps out to yeah. the people around mm-hmm. me. Um, like so, one just one example off the top of my head. Do you know that feature um, pause inbox on your no, on, I don't. on your Gmail account? So I, I have a probably Gmail if you ask me anything about technology, the answer is going to be no. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have discovered this only more recently, but there's a pause inbox feature on your Gmail. Mm. And so it's different mm. from an, an out of office message oh. in that in an out of office message, you'll still get all the emails showing up in your inbox, but it'll just tell people that you're away. So with pause inbox, it actually pauses all of your emails. Mm. So they don't even come into your inbox. Okay. In my desire to practice the Sabbath, I set that function to pause my inbox. And um, I have been surprised at how many people in my um, in my community in my community have um, have commented on that because they'll send me emails on Saturday and then yes. they'll send me and do they get a Saturday. message that it was paused? Do they get some sort of an indication? Yeah, they do. That it didn't so come so through? 
Okay. What I've been trying to do too is when I set those away messages is I I have been saying just like one or two sentences about what I'm doing. And so in the subject line, it actually says my email, my inbox is paused for Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And then I'll just have a note there that says, I'm taking 24 hours to pause, um, to be with Jimmy and Baxter, to remind myself that I'm not God. (laughs) And and I think what that's done is um, I've had a number of people say, hey, I I saw that message Mm -hmm. and I think I'm going to do that too. (laughs) And and how it sort of seeps out and and spreads. Mm -hmm. So that's been kind of a neat thing to see. Yeah, right. And also just an indicator that can be really organic like that. You know, yes, that, right. that there there is some intention and strategy, which we'll talk about later, but that there's a certain organic nature to it. And I and I strongly believe that's where it needs to begin. And that's why in the book where I talk about becoming a Sabbath leader or the leader of a Sabbath community, I just really bang the drum in several different places mm-hmm. that it has to begin with the leader really establishing this pattern in their own life and really falling in love with it and really becoming so convinced that it's good that they are going to work really hard to do what's needed in their own life. And then when they've established something of the pattern in their own life that gives them some place to stand with integrity to talk about it, then from there they can lead. But I do not recommend that anybody start trying to lead a Sabbath community before they have really wrestled and grappled with Sabbath keeping themselves and have really established it and modeled it. That just feels so important. And I think that's probably one of the fears that I have about this book is that leaders are going to get a hold of it. And because they're leaders, they're going to want to do this in their communities before they have really done it within their own lives. So I'm really encouraged, you know, by the fact that you've been practicing yourself personally or grappling for 14 or 15 years. And I'm putting this book out there when I've been practicing for 20 years, you know, and I don't, don't think I would have wanted to do it a minute sooner because the the strongest, most solid place I have to stand and you have to stand as a leader is that place where you've been practicing it yourself. Not perfectly, never perfection, but just some integrous attempt to practice this ourselves personally before we tried to lead others. So I'm very encouraged about that. Tell our listeners a little bit more about the context within which you are providing leadership. Tell us about your congregation a little bit and how long you've been there and what your journey is to have come to this place. Yeah, so I've been here at St. Peter's, it'll be almost three years Mm -hmm. this October. And I came here as part of, it was a a sort of a new experiment in our diocese. I'm part of the Episcopal Church, um, so the Diocese of New York. Mm -hmm. And we're wanting to experiment with church planting and church revitalization. And so I had been discerning a call between the two. My former church, All Angels, was really praying and um, kind of asking God about if this is something we should do as a church. And it seemed like the time was ripe. So I was sent with a group of 20 people Mm. from my church to join St. Peter's. And that was October of 2019. And then the pandemic hit just a couple months after Mm. that. So it was different than a church plant in Mm. that we weren't starting something brand new, but St. Peter's had been struggling for many decades. Mm. They had roughly 15 to 20 people left. So we were kind of doing this blended community where the 20 of us just joined St. Peter's Ah. and we've been on the journey together Mm. ever since. And, but you went in as already having been appointed as the priest in charge or did that happen later? Okay. Yeah. So the so St. Peter's Vestry voted to bring me on as a priest in Got charge. Earlier. Okay. 
Great, great. So, Mm -hmm. um, and my reason for wanting to clarify that is that as you read the book and others read the book, they're going to hear me say that I feel that it is the job of the senior leader to lead in the Sabbath practice. That's how it was for the Israelites. God gave the instructions to Moses, and then Moses Mm -hmm. was the one to lead. He never delegated the responsibility of leading people in the Sabbath rhythm. And sometimes they got confused. They made mistakes. They could not figure out how to trust God for the seventh day. And it was always God speaking to Moses. You yourself are to tell the people what to do in their Sabbath Mm -hmm. practice. And so I'm banging the drum a little bit again, unabashedly in the book to say this is a function of leadership and it's a function Mm -hmm. of senior leadership, not even to be delegated to the pastor of spiritual formation. I mean, this comes through the senior leader in terms of their vision, their modeling, their own practice. They're teaching from the pulpit, using the pulpit as a place to teach the biblical and theological foundations for this. Um, And then, you know, setting the congregation up to practice by how they do their scheduling and things like that. So I wanted to really establish the fact that you are the person in your congregation who can bring this and who would be empowered to bring this. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I resonate with that deeply and it's also incredibly sobering at the it same is, time. I know. Yeah. As you were saying that, I was reminded this one time, I remember uh, there was a particular staff person who was working with our ministry that serves folks living on the streets and struggling with mental illness and addiction. And so obviously she was under so much pressure all the time, working so many hours. And I remember sitting in my office with her, expressing my concern for her and mm-hmm. saying like, I think you really need to take just a regular day, you know, take time. I'm yeah. off and just was encouraging her towards arrest. And she was just such a straight shooter. And so she <laughs> shot right back at me and she said, Christine, I'm watching you. And, and, um, and she was saying, you're my boss. And she, we, yeah. she said it in a kind of a lighthearted way, but yeah. she was also very serious and saying like, yeah. I'm watching you and you need to practice what you preach. Yes. And she sort of rebuked <laughs> me in that moment. And I felt rebuked in that moment, <laughs> but, wow. um, but it's, but so true. And I think you mentioned some we're in the book talking about, you know, if you're sending emails on a, a Saturday or a, mm-hmm. a Monday or when other people have their their Sabbath off, then you are generating this anxiety and this feeling or need that they have to respond. And sometimes I'll say things like, I just needed to get this out of my head. So yeah. you know, don't respond. But still, it's like my action and my initiative is impacting yeah. them. And you have put it now, you've taken it from your head to their head, which is putting something onto them that makes it hard for them to practice the rhythm. Yeah, that was the example I shared was that I realized early on in our existence here in the Transforming Center that even though we have taught and practiced and championed Sabbath keeping from the very beginning, sometimes I would do that very thing. We would be practicing Sabbath, but I would want to get something off my head. And so I would send an email on a Sunday and that would send, what would happen is then there would be a little flurry, the person Mm -hmm. feeling like they had to respond because it was coming from me. Now, whatever my concern was, is their concern. And they're having to hold that while they're in their Sabbath practice. And I realized that my example in that case was more important than, than the teaching itself, or that my example was actually contradicting a value that we have established here in the Transforming Center. So the role of leadership in these things is Mm -hmm. just so significant. I so appreciate, you know, your honesty about your own practice and also the fact that maybe these are some 
uh, newly challenging thoughts about what could take place in your community. And in the book, and this is a, a quote that I'd love to interact with you about. It's a quote by one of my teachers in my spiritual direction program, Tilden Edwards, who is also an Episcopal priest, by the way. Mm -hmm. And in his book on Sabbath, he says, and this is just, this just knocks you right back when he says it. The church's primary social and psychological task is to help people manage their experienced dependency upon God in such a way that they are better able to care effectively for the world. Mm. Now that's enough right there, but we're going to go on. (laughs) These two dimensions of dependency and caring define the needed human rhythm of life. And here's the kicker. The church is the only large-scale institution in society that is accountable for and capable of fostering such an authentic rhythm. Mm. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Because my experience is that the church is contributing more to Christian busyness than anything else. That, yeah. that, you know, people are even hesitating to join a church these days because their lives are already unmanageable. And then they're mm-hmm. afraid that getting involved in a church is going to layer on a whole bunch of other tasks and responsibilities and activities yeah. on top of lives that already seem unmanageable. But right. he's saying the church is the only large scale institution in society that is accountable for and capable of fostering such an authentic rhythm. Yeah. Wow. You live in New York City. I mean, you know, <laughs> so tell me, like, how does that land on you? How, what does that stir up in you as you hear that? Yeah. You know, I, I mean, my honest first response is I feel like crying. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like crying both from a sense of that feels so right to me, mm-hmm. um, like the, both the longing and the potential for what that could be. I think I also feel like crying because I see, I mean, to his point, the huge disparity between yeah. like not only what people experience participating in church, but what we as leaders experience leading churches. And yeah. I mean, I, I think what, what he has said and what I've heard you say before, too, about how churches contribute to that busyness and that activism yeah. and that striving, I think is is a very true and, and sad and sobering reality. And it's, it feels like being on this hamster wheel of just not knowing how to, how to get off of this hamster yeah. wheel. I think one of the things that I wrestle with in that is as, as a church, because we play such a big role in helping to kind of teach and shape and guide people's mm-hmm. rhythms, what I struggle with personally as a priest is, is knowing that that's true and then thinking about, well, well, what are those ways? Where are those spaces where we cre- create opportunities to be formed? And then that's when I think, I, that's what I think leads us into, all right, well, programming and small groups yeah. and <laughs> Christian classes. And yeah, it feels yeah. a little bit like a, a catch 22. Mm-hmm. And one conversation that we've been having here at St. Peter's is, you know, we started just before the pandemic. And, mm-hmm. and as we all know, the pandemic shifted something so deeply when it comes to church and people's desire to come back to church for the, I think the very reason that you're talking yeah. about, mm-hmm. it, it not only revealed a level of exhaustion and stress that people were carrying, but contributed to in just phenomenal ways that I, I can understand why people aren't rushing back to church. Honestly, they find more space and peace and rest in going to their yoga class on Sunday mornings than right. coming to church and being burdened with so much. Mm-hmm. And um, one of our staff was asking the other day, I mean, as a genuine question, should we, should people be going to church twice a week? 
I don't know, you know, should, should we be asking people to, to be here for more than public worship on Sundays? Like, mm-hmm. are, are we being irresponsible by, by doing that? Mm-hmm. And, um, and we've been really sitting with that. We're, we're definitely discerning and working that out, but I think it's led us to this space of, um, right. Well, what are some non-negotiables? You know, one, mm-hmm. one non-negotiable as a church is we do believe in the, the public nature mm-hmm. of communal worship and the importance of that. So we've been saying, all right, well, how can we start thinking about, right? We don't know about beyond that, that, that time, but for this hour, hour, 15 minutes, hour and a half, Mm -hmm. you know, how can we create a space that is spacious and restful Mm -hmm. and is about encountering God? You know, it it helps kind of heighten and facilitate our attentiveness to Christ's presence with us. And that, you know, that's sort of where we're, where, where our attention is right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I know about myself is that I can tend to be very, very idealistic in some of the things that I put out there, very, you know, kind of uh, visionary and idealistic. And so what I was looking forward to in this conversation with you is to um, invite you to ask me some questions about the vision and maybe even the ideal. And, and you know, maybe it, it even brings me down a notch or two in terms of uh, just how challenging it would be to implement this message, this vision in a real life community, very consistent with the question that you're just asking. What questions did the book stir for you? What questions do you have for me as a person who's actively leading a congregation that would be really, truly helpful to you in this journey of becoming a Sabbath community? Wow. I have Mm. several questions. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, I mean, honestly, like top of mind is, is what I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. Like as churches, we have this, this role, this responsibility where this institution that can shape these kinds of rhythms in people's Mm -hmm. lives. And when you think about time and how time is spent, the way that Mm -hmm. I think people are asking questions about what they value, how they want to spend their time, what they have energy engaging in, that even to teach about the Sabbath. So that chapter about Dan, the pastor, mm-hmm. and, um, and, you know, wanting to now he's been on his own sabbatical journey. He wants to bring it to his community, but then it involves small groups and Christian education right. and even the teaching of it. And mm-hmm. so how do we, how do we do that while not burdening and filling up people's time and schedules with more mm-hmm. things? Yeah. Well, hopefully, as Pastor Dan's story indicates to us, even the introduction of the value of Sabbath and a Sabbath work, you know, work and rest rhythm that includes Sabbath, hopefully that would cause us to start clearing some stuff out, you know, to start asking the very question that you raised. It's being raised in your group, and that is like even down to the down to the detail of how many times do we ask people to come to this building you know during mm-hmm. the week is it once or is it twice you know mm-hmm. and to me this is one of the more challenging aspects of determining to walk the path of becoming a sabbath community is i think that almost everything needs to be on the table yeah. in terms of how necessary and, and essential it really is for our christian faith mm-hmm. and so i think i resonate deeply with you about the idea that, and I wouldn't say public worship, I think I would use the word corporate worship. Yeah, uh, It is public in the sense that it is a, it's a testimony, you know, within a, a community. Yeah. But the word corporate means more to me because it has to do with the, the idea of together. You mm-hmm. know, that there is definitely in our Christian faith, this highly established and held value of coming together for mm-hmm. shared worship and shared teaching 
and, you know, caring for the needs of the saints and, uh, and those kinds of things. So that, 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 that is to me a sacred cow, you know, of Christian faith is that there is a moment when we worship together and when we yeah. receive teaching and preaching together and, mm-hmm. um, our presence together builds up the body of Christ and edifies individuals in the body itself. But beyond that, I just wonder if everything else sort of needs to be placed on the table, placed on an altar of some sort. And maybe we start again with God and with a a, a real discernment process to say, that's the one thing we know we can't let go of because it's just so clearly a part of our faith. And, you know, the idea of how we're shaped in community is it's so it's such an important part of the New Testament that New Testament teaching and Jesus teachings that and his and his, and his life, like he did his whole life in community. So we can't get out of that as mm-hmm. far as I know. Yeah. Um, but then but then everything else gets really looked at, gets placed on the table and really discerned in terms of how it fits into a commitment to Sabbath. Um Mm-hmm. That would be an amazingly frightening and enlivening and risky <laughs> conversation to open up. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know what else. I don't know what else we would do except to to start to have that conversation with those who yeah. are called to discern. Yeah, what's happening in a particular community's life? How does that resonate with you? Yeah. No. I mean, I. I, I... I both love and I'm a little scared by that idea yes. of putting everything on the table. Mm-hmm. And but I, I I was intrigued by um, you talked about that idea of dormancy. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been thinking. I mean, just since reading about that, of you know what dormancy and embracing dormancy, like not just in like a sabbatical sense, mm-hmm. but you know, even like, what if this year we were to let Christian Ed lie dormant, you know, yes. or even just for a season, or maybe mm-hmm. there could be different aspects of the ministry that could lie dormant. And I think there's just a, like a lot of fear around like, but if we let it lie dormant, what if it doesn't come back? Or what if it dies? Yes. Or and yeah. I think in a time when pastors are trying to figure out how do we get our people to come back to church, if we start letting things go, will they return? And, mm-hmm. but that in itself, I think is really revealing because it's, it's, it's pointing to this anxiety that we have about control and people coming yeah. and our hopes for our community, all of that. Mm-hmm. So it is scary, but I think, yeah, yeah an invitation. And what, what, you know, that is so beautifully said. And one of the things that strikes me is that it takes us to the heart of the sa- the purpose of Sabbath or the dynamics. I like to call these dynamics. What are the dynamics of Sabbath? What are the inner dynamics? And also what's formed in us through Sabbath keeping. And the first one that I talk about so much in the book is this dy- dynamic of trust. Mm-hmm. That Sabbath in its very nature and intention and the way it was originally given actually confronts our issues of trust with God. Do I really trust God? If I do what God is calling me to do, can I trust God to make up for the rest? Can I trust that the work that I've done in six days will be enough to carry me through the seventh? Can I trust if I lay this down today that God is still at work? Can Mm -hmm. I trust that if we lay down the Christian education ministry for a little while and let it lie dormant, that God could still be at work? (gasps) Really? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it sounds so obvious when we say it, but can we trust God with that? I really feel that what we're talking about here is going to do that formational thing mm-hmm. that Sabbath does, and that is really um, force us into a place of wondering who and what we're trusting, you know, yeah, and right. are we willing to trust God while we let something lie dormant, whatever yeah. it might be, you know? Yeah. And you realize how much 
like the Sabbath really has to do with the gospel mm-hmm. in that sense, you know, and mm-hmm. Sabbath is seen as something that is so, you know, well, some people do it and some people don't, but I know from myself, like the, there probably hasn't been a single spiritual practice that has brought, like, do I really believe the gospel or not? Exactly. <laughs> you know? yes. Then the Sabbath, it's that powerful. Mm-hmm. And, and God in, in one's life, you know, do I really yeah. trust God in the midst of my human existence? Yeah. Do you know, do I trust that That's God right. knows me better than I know myself and knows that I simply must have this in order yeah. to be well on the earth? Yeah. Do I trust God to continue to be at work in the world even when I'm resting? I mean, there's just yeah. so many layers to this mm-hmm. issue of trust, both personally and in community. So as a community embarks on a conversation like this to say, as we have this conversation, do we trust God? Mm-hmm. with our very lives, with our very existence as a community, yeah. as a congregation, yeah. as we put these things on the table before yeah. God yeah. and wonder with God and with each other where this yeah. fits now in this commitment that we have to Sabbath. Yeah. That's why I, I really have loved um, those gardening images mm-hmm. because there is something about that living into the rhythm and whether it's gardening or farming that mm. really involves trust. That's right. And being able to say like, right, I've done what I can. I've, I've planted these seeds. I've mm. you know, cared for this, this plot of land as best mm. as I can. And now can I really entrust it to yes. the sun and the wind and the rain and all of that and trust that something beautiful will grow. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, you mentioned in your book about doing something before doing everything. Mm-hmm. And I think in the context of that, you were talking about, all right, if can you schedule one day in the next yeah. six months or six weeks? Mm-hmm. I forget what the time period was. I'm curious what your thoughts are on people taking a partial Sabbath, mm-hmm. like not a full 24 hours and whether that defeats the purpose of it. And I'm thinking specifically of when I've talked with some of our church members, you know, being busy New Yorkers who have these really mm-hmm. intense jobs and of some of them just saying like, we at my work, that's just like not an option. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I am all about it. And I think that's another good way to do something before you do everything to find, you know, three hours. So a Sabbath morning or a Sabbath afternoon or a Sabbath evening and really do it though, you know, like mm-hmm. really do it with the opening ritual, the ending ritual and really unplug from technology and uh, those you live with, wh- whoever you live with or with friends, if you're single, doing delightful things together, like planning in delight, planning mm-hmm. in, um, I mean, I don't know if three hours is long enough to have delightful, you know, the delightful activities plus a nap. I, I do think we need to try napping. I mean, I'm, we could laugh mm-hmm. and giggle here, but I mean, who does that? I don't take naps during the week. The only day that would even, I, I, that it would even be possible and napping, mm-hmm. you know, for some people that might feel challenging, but for other people to think, I oh, mean, I could crawl back into bed and take a nap and God's delighted with me right now because I'm doing exactly what God mm-hmm. has invited me to do. I just want there, maybe four hours is better. Maybe it could be four hours where you actually have some time for the opening ritual. You have some time for the delightful things, maybe the walk in the, through the fall leaves or a bike ride or whatever it is that's delightful to the people that you're with. And then some time to crawl into bed and try napping as part of one's Sabbath practice. So maybe three hours is a little not, not quite enough, but maybe four hours. But yes, I'm all about it. I think that that's a really good way to begin is to begin with a shorter period of time and and see how that works, see how it feels, see what it does. And then over time, it could be that your desire for more of that will will help you to find a way 
you know, to make those periods of time longer. So thank you. Yeah. So, you know, even for a pastor, because I think part of what we need to grapple with here is what's a pastor or a priest going to do if they're pulling off Sunday morning worship and they've preached and there's nobody who's going to tell me that that's resting. That is working. Mm-hmm. I mean, preaching and pulling off Sunday morning services are, that's work for the priest yeah. or the pastor. But then maybe all they can do though is, you know, as soon as they leave the church building, their Sabbath begins. And they at least carry it through the rest of the day on Sunday, and nobody comes back to church that day for anything. Now, I think ideally it would be nice for the pastor and the pastoral staff to go through Monday at noon or even through Monday evening. That would be ideal. But maybe uh, something before you do everything for the pastoral staff would be, you know, stopping at 12 or 1, and then the Sabbath begins for the staff, and at least everybody's down and unplugged through the rest of the day. And you're modeling. When you do that, you'd have to communicate that to your to your congregation, and you're modeling that this is so important that our staff is doing it together. Mm-hmm. And I do, by the way, suggest that staff do their Sabbath together, because then yeah, while you're on that. while you're on your Sabbath, people aren't filling up your inboxes, or there's not this sense. And I feel this all the time when I'm doing sabbatical or Sabbaths or whatever that we're not doing together. That I am inconveniencing other people, and that they are having to suffer a little bit because I'm not available. I'd rather know that all of us are doing it together so that my inbox is not getting filled up, which gives me a sense of dread, but also that um, I'm not inconveniencing other people by being out of pocket when they're functioning. Mm -hmm. That's my own preference, just putting it out there. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So my other question was, so in that rhythm of work and rest and the connection between the two, like I'm often cognizant how people have written about the Sabbaths will say the Sabbath is not just fuel for the other six Mm -hmm. days of the week. Absolutely. But really it's oftentimes it's like the other way around where the Mm -hmm. six days are are being oriented towards the Sabbath. So like that said, I'm wondering like what's been helpful for you in terms of your practice of Sabbath that has, that you've taken into the rest of the work week, or that's maybe like impacted how you work or your posture in work. Mm -hmm. Um, when you're, when you're making that transition, because sometimes it can feel very abrupt. Like maybe you've had this really wonderful, delightful, restful Sabbath. Yeah. And then we jump back into the, into I agree. the work week. So how mm-hmm. does Sabbath impact the rest of the week without it being, well, that's the only function of the Sabbath is to be fueled mm-hmm. for my work week? Yeah. Well, I think paying attention to transitions, both for Sabbath and sabbatical, are really important. And so to have something that transitions you back could be helpful. So for instance, um, for me, Sabbath does begin on Saturday evening, the evening before Sunday. Um, for a pastor or a priest who's preaching on Sunday, you're, you might have to start it on Sunday afternoon and go through the next day. But um, that when it's starting to wind down, to actually see that evening meal that you have on, this, on the next day be a beginning of your transition, you know, back into work. And also... For me, one of the things that happens on Sabbath, if I'm not if I'm not dangerously tired, which I have been at times, where as I mentioned in the book, uh, Sabbaths are not Sundays are not enough, and that was what pushed me and propelled me into sabbatical when I realized that that now more regularly and routinely I would get to the end of Sabbath and dread Mondays because I knew that I hadn't gotten enough. It just wasn't enough. That's when I knew that man, I better get something more because you know I'm practicing Sabbath religiously, but I'm coming to Mondays with a feeling of dread and like I'm not ready and and all that. But when I'm not dangerously tired, it's interesting that during somewhere along the way during the Sabbath, I will start to have a feeling of gratitude for my work 
and mm-hmm. the fact that, wow, now that I'm rested, I, I really do want to go back to work. I, mm-hmm. I love my work and, and I love the people that I get to work with and I have ideas and I want to bring those and to really pay attention to any kind of little glimmer that you're starting to have of, of yeah. gratitude and enjoyment and delight in your work. And so really to fuel that, you know, to fan that into flame and to carry that delight and gratitude for your work. Cause good work is something to be really grateful for. Mm-hmm. Good work that has meaning and that has delight in it and includes people that you enjoy being with and tasks that, as we would say in our prayers, that demand our best efforts, you know, and mm-hmm. that lead us to reliance on you alone, oh God. I mean, that is a gift in life. Work is a, as much of a gift as as rest is. And that's why yeah. I'm making the strong point in the book that the beauty is in the rhythm. The goodness is in the rhythm. As long as we're not dangerously tired, we're going to start to feel that rhythm. Uh, if you come to the end of your work week, you can hardly wait to Sabbath. You're, you're just so exhausted. But then somewhere along the way on Sabbath, you start to love your life again. You start to love your work again. You start to get ideas for your work. You start to have a sense of God in with you in your work. And you carry that back into your work. And it, that's a really good way to enter into, into Mondays. Yeah. <laughs> so really, for me, Mondays. For you, it might be another day. But it's really good to let that grow and expand and, and bring that sense, mm-hmm. you know, into my life with others and my work and to see my work as being a gift just as much as my Sabbath is a gift. Yeah. I, I really appreciate that point about mm-hmm. gratitude. Um, because I, I was just thinking about how, you know, it's that time of year where we're all getting frenzied and are planning for the fall. Yes. And I was talking with one of our staff about that feeling we get. It's like that mm-hmm. frenzied, anxious feeling yeah. of like, what are we going to do? How do we make decisions about this? And um, we, were, we were taking a, a walk. Actually, there was a Sabbath practice. We took mm-hmm. a, a walk because we're good. getting a Sabbath we're getting, moment in your day. Yeah, yes. we were getting uh-huh. too much in our heads. Yeah. And um, and she was asking this question sort of, there wasn't an answer necessarily, but sort of a lot coming from that place of longing of like, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could come to our planning and it wasn't frenzied, but it was full of peace. And and I, I feel and maybe like joy and anticipation. That sense of, of gratitude. Yeah. Yes. Like we get to do yeah. this. We get to do yes. this. Right. Aren't we blessed? But I, think, <laughs> right. but I think like the thing about gratitude for the work and gratitude for the people that you're doing the mm-hmm. work with, I think yeah. can be so meaningful for those other, you know, five, six days of the week. Because I think yeah. what happens is we get so fixated on the task and what we have to yeah. do and the outcomes of everything. And I think those are that's like the fastest way to lose that sense of gratitude that you're yes. coming out of the Sabbath with. Yeah. We wanted to pause for a moment and express our gratitude to our sponsor. The season of our podcast is sponsored by Goodkind. Goodkind is all about helping people cultivate the good kind of habits and holiday practices that allow them to engage with God and one another throughout the year. They have a great tool for Advent and also a Sabbath box to help you practice Sabbath with your family and so much more. So to learn more about them and the products that they make, you can find them at goodkind.shop. Well, Christine, it's just been so delightful to talk to you. And I wonder if in conclusion, we could each just name uh, what's stirring in our souls, because 
Uh, in the book, we have this pattern at the end of every chapter of including a section of what does your soul want to say to God. And my encouragement in that is is to get us to go down to the soul level to what God's doing versus just reading an interesting book, which many of us who love the life of reading and intellectual stimulation can just read books and for the stimulation of it. But I want people to drop down and to notice what is God stirring in our souls at the end of this particular piece of the book or at this particular time in our conversation. And so I wonder if you'd want to share what's stirring in your soul as we bring this conversation to conclusion. Well, you know how earlier you were asking, you were asking me some question and I responded, I feel like crying. Yes. <laughs> and even, even in you asking that question of what's stirring in my soul. Yeah, I feel tears coming on and I think some of it has to do with like longing for a different way of being, mm -hmm. um, like being in the world. I think especially in a moment like right now, like not just yeah. that it's end of summer and we're trying to figure things out for the fall, but just this this season in our in our world and society. And so I I think I'm I think what's stirring is is longing for the kind of rest and freedom and way of being that Sabbath that I know Sabbath um, wants to give mm -hmm. uh, to me. So that's yeah. what's stirring for me. Oh. Yeah. How about you? What's stirring your soul? Mm. Well, I'm aware of just how much I've enjoyed talking to you and how much if your church, if your church were anywhere near me, I'd want to be there with you <laughs> <laughs> as a person who's just so winsomely wanting to lead in these ways that I would gladly and love to jump in, you know, with the, the conversations that you're having and willing to have and uh, leading out of this place of longing. And the part of the conversation that blessed me also was the part where we talked about coming back and you, you initiated that with your question of what do you bring to your work week from having had a Sabbath? And I think a longing to continue to work with that part of my own practice of coming to the end of Sabbath and, and being more aware of, of bringing that sense of gratitude and, and blessedness um, and delight in my work and in the mm -hmm. people that I work with and being a bit more intentional about that as I bring my Sabbath moments to a close of, you know, what, what am I bringing, you know, into my work from having been in this beautiful place of Sabbath keeping. So I'm going to take that with me from this conversation and pay a little bit more attention to that. So I think God's talking to me about that. So beautiful. And now for our listeners, I encourage you to do the very same thing. Don't just rush on to whatever is next in your life right now, but take a moment to feel your longing to cry your tears. If there's tears that you're having right now, don't rush on to the next thing. But what is your soul wanting to say to God? What is your soul longing for? And take a few minutes to say it or to write it or to feel it or to cry it. And don't rush on. Create space right now for what your soul wants to say to God. Amen.
Thank you.